Hello, this is Mike from independencelive.net, otherwise known as Indie Live. The following talk is by Craig Dalzell, titled The Demographics of Independence, and was recorded in Glasgow, Scotland on the 19th of January 2017 at the Scottish Independence Convention Conference. This presentation specifically addresses the political and demographic makeup of yes and no supporters regarding the question of Scottish independence, and is based on all the available data that Dr Dalzell has been able to gather regarding this topic. A video version of this presentation is also available from our website at www.independencelive.net. The video version may be helpful due to the fact that during his presentation, Dr Dalzell displays quite a few slides to present the data upon which his analysis is based. For a link to the video presentation, more information about Dr Dalzell, the Scottish Independence Convention and independencelive.net, please see the links below. Further information is also provided at the end of the audio stream. Enjoy and please leave your comments. I want to introduce Dr Craig Dale, who is one of our you know, street corner Scottish polymaths. So not only does he, not only does he crunch the numbers on various gigantic institutional problems of policy, he's also got a PhD in laser photonics, which, of course, being a proud Scot, James Clerk Maxwell, but we're already there. It's, it, lasers are Scottish, all right. <laughs> it's not just it's not just Scotty and his lasers, but the fundamental principles of lasers are Scottish. And with that. With that moment of totally specious patriotism, I want to spand you over to Dr. Craig Dale. Well, we've, we've, been, we've been looking in the headlines for the last several months, every couple of weeks there's a new poll on independence and the headline comes out and, and it says that the, the support hasn't really moved very much. Uh, I believe that sort of just snapshot doesn't really tell us what's really going on. So I want the, the, the purpose of the paper that I've written that we're publishing next week and I'm talking about today is to look just a little more, little deeper at the demographics of Scotland, uh, who voted which way in 2014, who has moved since then, and what does that tell us about the state of the campaign, the state of the country, and who do we need to convince and who do we need to win back? So couple of quick stats. Scotland's population as of the middle of last year, which is the most recent stats, about 5.37 million. The population of voting age, that's 16 plus, is about 4.4, million. And our population is gradually aging, as most uh, Western uh, developed countries are. Uh, this means that the median age of our potential voters is about 48. That's quite an important number that we'll need to remember for a couple of slides' time. It's a graph that's uh, shown about quite a little. This is the income distribution in Scotland. Income is distributed uh, fairly unequally. We're currently in this debate now that we've got these, these new tax powers in Scotland or how we use them. Do we increase the, uh, or, or decrease the upper rates of tax? This only affects a small portion of uh, the population. Only about 15% of the population pay the higher uh, income tax rate and less than 1% pay the additional rate. The median income among workers is about £22,000 a year. 
This doesn't include people who, uh, for various reasons, are not working and not, ge not getting an income at all. So about 20% of the 16 to 64 year old population in, uh, well, in the UK, uh, Scottish, Scottish stats are probably a little different, um, but not, not hugely so. If you factor this in, median income for our potential voters is about £18,500. Ethnicity-wise, if you look at the 2011 census, um, about 83% of people resident in Scotland were born in Scotland. Uh, about 10% came here from somewhere else in the UK. Uh, about 3% somewhere else in the European Union, and about 4% somewhere else in the world. I'm afraid I don't have stats on people that have come here from further away than that. <laughs> Probably not many. So how did we vote in 2014? The biggest, the, probably the strongest correlator, uh, and the one that was most talked about was uh, age. Uh, if you were younger, you tended to be more in support of independence. If you were older, more in support of the union. Um, the balance point for that is about age 41. If you're 41 years old, I can't make a reasonable guess based on your age which way you voted. You might notice that that's a little bit less than the median age of our voters. This means that there are there is a, a natural or was a natural majority uh, in Scotland in 2014 for the union just based on age. This will have to play into our strategy somehow. Thing is, age also correlated with turnout. The 65-plus age, age block turned out 96% of their voters. The 18 to 24, about 50%. The 16 to 17-year-olds actually turned out very strongly. And I thought this was a great thing. This was the, the first time this age group were allowed to vote in Scotland. And by and large, they embraced that vote. And I think that's been a really, really good... Uh, advertisement for our country um, and I'm really glad that we've extended that franchise uh, to 16 and 17 year olds for the for the rest of our Scottish elections. Uh, I'd really like to see um, how that engagement plays out in, in the council elections in May and I would really put out a plea for the rest of the UK to look at what's happening up here and maybe try and catch up. But the serious point here for, uh, for our purposes is the people who are most likely to support independence were, by and large, the least likely to turn out. It probably does our campaign no use if we convince a bunch of people and then they, they just don't put pencil to paper. And that, was a, that was a real strength of the, the No campaign in 2014. They got their vote out. Another good correlator was income. Uh, if you were um, more well-off, then your, your incentive to vote for change perhaps was a little less than people who thought, you know, either things could be better or things really can't get much worse. Uh, the other graph there, social grade, I, I 
this is this is something that pops up in a lot of the polls. I don't particularly like this social grade uh, metric. It kind of drives a a Sykes Pico line through society that in a way that really doesn't tell you what's going on in, in, in your underlying economy. What this uh, is, is is basically based, you're placed in one of these grades based on your job title. It doesn't really tell, I mean, if you're the manager of your, your local credit union and you're faced off against the manager of a hedge fund in London, you're both financial managers. It doesn't really tell you much about what's going underneath. And you can kind of see that in the correlations. Uh, it's a lot flatter. There is a little bit of a breakdown in the in the gender side of things. That uh, males were perhaps a little more supportive of independence than than females were. Uh, this is going to play out a little bit more in a couple of minutes as we move now on to what's changed since then. Uh, now, just for a a little clarification, I'm. I'm going to be spending a couple of minutes talking talking to you about what has changed. I'm not. I don't know how I can really go into why it's changed or how we can change things the other way. That's maybe for the discussion later. I'd love to hear your views on it, but we're just going to focus on the data just now. So the trends since then. Now this is one that kind of hit the headlines in uh, the National today. Uh, if you've if you've read read the one that was on your seat um, since 2014. Um, the amount of yes support among SNP voters has been steadily declining, especially since Brexit. There has been a very substantial drop since that Brexit referendum. Uh, it's now sitting below 75% among SNP voters. This should be a wake-up call to people. Now, I suspect a, a, a fair chunk of this might be directly related to Brexit. It might be the SNP leave voters. Um, as I say, I, I, you can't tell that much from the poll data, so we're going to have to have that discussion. But the reason the headline polls haven't shifted that much is alongside that drop by SNP voters has been a fairly substantial rise among supporters in Labour and the Lib Dems. Now, I'm really glad to, uh, when I read today that Labour has uh, announced that it will not be sanctioning members who support a campaign for independence. That's, that's a bit of encouraging news. I hope the Lib Dems will make a similar um, commitment. Uh, I even hope the Tories will do it. <laughs> I know. Hey, since 2014, the level of support for independence in the Tory, vote, Tory party has tripled. It's now at 6%. That's still one in twenty. It's yeah. It's we can we can we can joke and uh, fair enough. But I think we we become independent. We're still going to have people who will vote for a conservative party. I think the current conservative party has to make the decision: will it be them? Because if we want to pull everyone along with us on our independent journey, you know the parties are going to have to make up their mind whether whether they 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 come with us or whether they fade into obscurity. Another notable thing in here is that very substantial bounce, the second last data point in the Lib Dems. Uh, this was directly in the, uh, as a, directly after the, the Brexit referendum. Um, and we did see a couple of polls that, did, that, that showed a, you know, independence support going up to about 50-55% for a couple of weeks after the, the EU referendum. Uh, it's possible that that was a bit of a a grief reaction to the result, 
Um, the Lib Dems being you know, probably the, the party most ideologically attached to the EU. It's maybe no, su no surprise they, uh, they've seen that, that substantial bounce. You can also see it in the SNP uh, uh, polls as well. When you look at the trends in age and gender, it's a bit of a mixed, uh, mixed picture going on. I'm afraid that technology has failed us again. All my trend lines have disappeared here, so that's just a mass of data points, and you probably can't see a thing in there. So you're just going to have to take my word for it or read my paper when it's published. <laughs> It'll be on the, the Commonweal website, allofusfirst.org. Got to get the plugs in. One thing that, uh, that, that's shown up pretty strongly is that 16 to 34 age block. It has been consistently becoming more supportive of independence. Um, you know, we're really pulling, pulling the youngsters along with us, even those youngsters that are over 30. <laughs> uh, in the, the 35 to 54 block, mixed picture along with gender, males are becoming a little more sceptical. Again, I wonder if that EU referendum is starting to, to play on, on uh, that age group a little. Um, females, it's fairly flat. The older group, males, fairly flat, fairly stable. Females, here's another headline for you. In 2014, or just after twen the 2014 referendum, support among 55 plus females was sitting at around 50%. It's now at 22. 22%. Yeah, that's the reaction I had when I saw that. Now, again, it's difficult to see just from the polls why this is the case. Uh, we're going to have to have this discussion. We're going to have to go out canvassing, talking to people, work out what's going on. I wonder if the, the, pensions is, the, the pensions issue in Westminster is causing so much damage to this age group that the idea of throwing even more uncertainty on this is, has just become too much. So when we're building our strategy, when we're building our policies, this is something that we need to get done right. So let's talk about a couple of scenarios. Let's say, right, we want to win. Um, if we had a poll tomorrow based on the, uh, the, 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 the current demographics, yes, we'd probably lose by about 380,000 votes based on an 85% turnout, similar to last time. That'd be about 570,000 votes sitting on a sofa somewhere. So let's imagine, right, we'll, get a, we'll, we'll, we'll really hammer that low turnout group among the youngsters. Um, what, could, what, could, what, what would that do to the result? Actually, if we, if we just did a blanket get-out-of-the-vote campaign, we'd bring, on, bring along another 140,000 yes votes and another 120,000 no votes. Democracy is good. Turnout is good. Let's, let's get as many people out there as possible, no matter what their views are. But it wouldn't really affect the result that much. Um, because of the demographics of Scotland, uh, though we, we do have more older folk than younger folk. So maybe a campaign that just caused 10% uh, a 10% swing from no to yes among 55 pluses. That'd give us an extra 300,000 yes votes. That would almost win us the, the campaign just itself. 
So again, let's 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 have a look at that pension thing again, and let's have a look at that security, financial security. Um, we need to we need to bring bring some of these some some folk to to the table on this. Now, I'm not saying these these two campaigns are mutually exclusive. Uh, I'm going to show you a couple in a, uh, in a slide or two that might be, because we're going to have to consider that some strategies that we build might be very attractive to one particular demographic, but might turn off another. For example, let's look at income. I have heard a few people discuss, right, let's have a, let's have a campaign where we just get all of the... Uh, the millionaires in Scotland to vote yes. Well, there aren't very many of them. So yeah, yeah, let's bring everyone we can, but you're not going to win a referendum that way. Even if we just look at the the upper tax rate pairs. Now these people are not rich. You know, the, uh, if you've you've got a forty thousand pound sal forty five thousand pound salary, you, you're well off, but you're not rich. Um, and again, this goes into the 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 idea that we're in Scotland, our politics is kind of dickering around at the edges of the, the income tax system and it's affecting 15% of the population. But if we built a campaign around there, every 10% swing from no to yes brings us about 120,000 yes votes. If our campaign swung 5% of the below 25k income bracket to yet, from no to yes and got another 5k 5% from SOFA to yes, that'd swing the gap by 400,000 votes. That'd win it. Then that'll win, but that would win the referendum. Again, those who desperately need financial security, these are the people we need to talk to. What is clear from all this is we're long past the stage where a single party or a single party ideology can win as independence. It needs to be a cross-party inclusive campaign. It needs to be a non-party campaign. Parties can join our campaign, but they shouldn't be asking us to join theirs. And when we're planning our strategy, when we're building our strategy, our messages should account for not just who they might attract, but who they might disincentivize. If we do build a campaign that, say, let's win all the millionaires, who does that turn away? Does that do more harm than good? Something we need to think about. Something else we need to think about. Remember, independence is not the end. It's a means to greater ends. not just how we get there, it's what we do with it. So a little plug, just very, very quickly at the end here, because as uh, Robin asked me to do this. <laughs> this is all part of the, the Commonweal White Paper project. We launched it a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was a, a, a re-launch and a rewrite of the, of the 2014 um, white paper, focusing more on the structure, but also trying to get a little more... Um, a little more rigor, rigor into the statistics and the numbers used. We have supporting papers published on currency, debt and assets, deficit, defense, customs, a bunch of others coming. We need your help to do this. As Robin said earlier, if you have a particular expertise in something that you want seen 
seen in the white paper, come and speak to me um, at some point at the, through the conference. Um, if you just want to donate to us and help us get this done that way, allofusfirst.org forward slash donate or visit our stall outside. We'd really value your contributions. Thank you. This presentation was recorded by independencelive.net on the 19th of January 2017. For more information about Dr. Craig Dalzell, go to thecommongreen.scot. For more information about the Scottish Independence Convention Conference 2017, go to www.commonspace.scot and search for Scottish Independence Convention. To keep up to date with coverage from independencelive.net, Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Common Social. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, email list and podcast RSS feed. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again soon. Independence Live. Indie Live has live-streamed over 700 events since November 2013. Most past events are available to view for free from our website. Follow our page on Common Social and join the conversation in the social network environment developed, managed and controlled from within Scotland. To continue to raise the quality of our coverage, expand outreach and develop much needed digital infrastructure, we need money. Please consider supporting the ongoing activity of IndieLife by making a donation at www.independencelife.net.